repeat after me. This is my Bible. Amen. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I will have what it says I will have. I'm a part of Deliverance Temple where we love by living our vision every day. Amen. We connect with our creator continually. We confess our deliverance consistently. We commit to serve creatively. We communicate Christ's love compassionately. Father God, feed me your word. Now come on and make some noise again. Amen. In the comments, you can make noise however you make noise, those of you who are online. And so today I'm going to, I'm going to take my time. You know, normally I say when I have my bow tie on, I usually slow down and take my time. I don't have my bow tie on. However, I haven't worn this clergy collar with this shirt for a while. And since I've been on sabbatical, I didn't eat. And my neck is a little tighter than it did. It took me a while to button the button and fasten the collar. So I ain't going to do a whole lot of hooping and hollering, not because I'm just deep, because I don't want this thing to pop off while I'm trying to talk. So we're going to take our time. But this is also an important day for me personally. And so I'm going to just call this message simply this, my ministry. My ministry. So that's that's the title. And I'm just going to take some time and talk about my ministry. Uh, ministry and um, just just a few things for you to to think through and know, and then I'll, I'll try to keep a decent pace. I'll, I won't bore you. I try I, I try not to bore you, but I'm reminded of the founder of this church, Bishop Jimmy Clark Sr. He would always say, "If I bored you," he said, "I hope I didn't bore you, but if I did bore you, invite me back so I can do it again." So if I do bore you this Sunday, come back. So I can do it again. So first thing I want to do, I, I want to put up two dates. These are, these are two distinct dates. So when I talk about my ministry, there's actually two distinct dates. Number one is November 1997. That is when I preached my first sermon. It was the Sunday after Thanksgiving weekend. I preached my first sermon in November 1997. So that means coming up this November uh, that Thanksgiving weekend, I will, will have been in ministry for 26 years. So, now, I know I only look 29, so y'all think I started preaching when I was three. So I know that it doesn't compute, but, uh, so, so put the dates back up there. So, then there is July 2011, and that's when I became a senior pastor. And so, when I talk about my ministry right now, I'm talking about my pastoral ministry as a senior pastor. On 2001, I became a youth pastor, but that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the time I became a senior pastor. So I, I want to give us a little background on how that transpired from my perspective 
So the first thing I, I want you to do is put this uh, question mark up. And this is something that many of us may end up dealing with at some point in our life in our Christian walk. And it's this question, what about me? Somebody say that, what about me? Now, when you are a Christian, one of the things that happens is you come to church and they call it a church service. So everything about your Christian life is set up to be a service. You are set up to serve. Ministry is the same way. But after you've served so long and given so long and done so much and extended yourself out so much and loaned folk this and helped folk that and helped folk move when they're supposed to move, sometimes this question comes to you, what about me? It doesn't make you selfish. It just sometimes seems that God asks so much from you that sometimes you wonder, is there something for me in this process? Am I supposed to be given all my life, serving all my life? Am I supposed to be the last one to get married, the last one to get hired, the one that always got to cry? And so sometimes you ask yourself, God, what about me? So around 2009, I was working in Allison in Indianapolis, driving back and forth there with a group of people. And I had a season of, what about me? God had promised me a lot of things, and a lot of those things had not happened. Well, actually, it was even before that, because we we were trying to have kids and couldn't have kids. And as a youth pastor, I see people popping out babies, and me and my wife couldn't have ba babies. And it just seemed like, God, what about me? When you going to bless me? I, I don't mind serving. I don't mind doing it. But God, when is it going to be my turn? So I had one of those what about me moments. And it, 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 it lasted for a couple of years, so around 2009. And then 2010 specifically, it just dawned on me that I'm no longer a youth pastor. I'm in a youth pastor role, but I'm no longer a youth pastor. And all the people that I was a youth pastor over they're all becoming young adults. They're older, and we don't have a bunch of babies and new people, so here I am as the youth pastor, but I ain't got nobody to pastor. Now, I really don't have in any youth, and I'm so wondering, God, what, what are you doing with me? And then I got to be invited to services where other major people were coming into town, people that were on TV, and I was excited to go, oh, so-and-so's here, prophet so-and-so's here. I was excited to go. I would go. I'd sit in the pew, and as I would watch them, I would imagine myself where they were. And I didn't want to imagine myself where they were, but I still had that thought, God, when are you going to do something for me? I don't want to be like this. I don't mind serving, but I got this question, when is it going to be my turn? So, 2010 closed, and then something happened January, not too long after the beginning of the year, January 2011, it dawned on me, I think I've outgrown Deliverance Temple. And it wasn't a happy thought, because this is the church I've been in all my life. And that's why that song that we played that Tasha Cobb sings is important to me, because what Deliverance Temple means to me is more than just me being the pastor. This is the church I grew up in. This is the church I was Christian in. I, I see miracles in this church. But I got to a place where I thought, it's a possibility that this is not for me anymore. So that means that 
my father as pastor, he's not supposed to be my pastor anymore. So this brought a whole lot of confusion to me. It wasn't a happy thought. I was confused because I was feeling something inside of me that I didn't know how to articulate. And so I did one thing I didn't do. I didn't talk to a whole bunch of people. I kept it inside. And I finally said something to Devin. And I was like, I don't know if I've outgrown deliverance temple. I don't know what that means. Maybe I'm supposed to go somewhere. And she kind of concurred. She understood what I was talking about. And I said, let's just pray on it. So we prayed on it all January. And I didn't get an answer. And guess what I didn't do? I didn't stop coming. I kept showing up, kept functioning in the role I was supposed to function in. I didn't call Teresa over. Teresa, you know what? I think my daddy ain't the pastor for anymore. I didn't tell nobody but my wife, didn't talk to nobody else. I kept functioning as normal. But on the inside, something felt different. So February, I decided I would talk to someone else I knew who was a pastor who was younger than I, and I, I, I shared with them, I said, I've been going through this, and I want you to pray with me, because I don't know what this means. I don't know if I'm supposed to part ways with my father, because when I came out of school, what God told me is go work with your father. So I didn't know what any of this meant, and so I talked to this person in February, and they said they would pray with me, and they prayed for about a week, and the next week, they called me back, and they said, I'm offering you a spot at my church. Now, I wanted them to pray with me, and they did, but I was like, something didn't feel right about that. So I thought maybe I'm supposed to leave Deliverance Temple, but when someone offered me a spot somewhere else, something didn't feel right. See, I, I'm loyal to my core. I almost got bothered that they would even offer, and they didn't do anything wrong. They were praying for me like they were like I asked them to do, but they got an op they thought of an opportunity, they thought this might work, but it just didn't sit well with me. So all of February, guess what I did? I kept coming back to Deliverance Temple. I don't know, God, what you're doing. I know what I'm feeling, so I only talked to my wife and this other pastor, never talked to another soul. And so March rolls around, and March, Brother Melvin Kelly and my father are getting ready to go to Africa. And Brother Melvin Kelly was a part of the ministry. And I was like, well, maybe I can trust him with this information. And so I told him what I've been praying about. And he immediately said, you ain't going nowhere. God don't want you to go nowhere. And I was like, well, just will you at least listen to my story, Melvin? And he's like, God don't want you to go nowhere. But he was like, we'll talk about it after me and your dad get back from Africa. And I, I said, yeah, that makes sense. So now this had its feeling in January. And here I am in March. I'm still at the DT. And so while they're in Africa, guess who got to run things here? Me. And so I did it with my best ability. But by then, things started kind of subsiding. I started thinking, well, maybe maybe I'm supposed to stick around. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, so I'm just going to keep showing up till you tell me different. Well, after my dad got back from Africa, he told me he wanted to talk to me about something. Had no idea what he was going to talk about. And he brought me in here, and we sat in this uh, building. And he said, I'm thinking about turning the church over to you. And at that moment, it dawned on me. That's why I was feeling like I had outgrown, because I had outgrown my present role. And God was opening up a brand new role for me. Good thing I didn't tell a bunch of people. I didn't go run off anywhere. Good thing I kept it really close because something was being offered. But then I thought, wait a second. Melvin went 
to Africa with my dad. Maybe he said something. I told him not to say something. So I told my, Melvin what my dad said. Melvin said, me and him didn't talk about none of that. So you know, I don't know where it came from. So it seemed like it all just collided at the right time. And so as my dad told me, then I walked out from that meeting. And as I was walking out the door, my dad said, uh, Andre, when do you think we should do it? And I was like, I don't know. Well, you know, God talked to you. Maybe you know. I was like, I don't know. But as I was driving home, the Lord told me, he said, your birthday is on a Sunday. Next time you see your dad, tell him you want to do it on your birthday. Now, this is March. So that means we only have a few months to get ready. And I'm not the type of asking person. I'm not the demanding person. But I knew God was saying that to me. So when I talked to my dad, the next time I said, my birthday falls on a Sunday. What do you think about doing it? On that day, he said, that's the perfect time to do it. Let's get our minds ready to do it. And that's how I ended up taking over the church on my birthday in July 2011, July 10th, 2011. And so as I look and as I remember my father, I thank him for him being a visionary because most people hold on for a long time. They run it into the ground before they turn it over. We had just got in this building, and we we were just rolling, and he opened and gave me a chance to do, and really submitted to me as his pastor. Even though he was my overseer, he told me personally, he said, I, I know I'm the bishop, but you're my pastor. If you want to do something, I'm not going to stand in your way. And it came to the point one time we actually had a disagreement and I said, I don't really think we should do it that way. And guess what he did? He succumbed to me. Even though he was my bishop, he's like, all right, Andre, I don't think that's what we should do. But I'm doing it your way because I told you you're the pastor. That's a powerful man of God. And I thank him for that to this day. So that's part of the story. That's not all of it. But that, that, that's a big chunk of the story. And then we started rolling in 2011. And here I am in 2023, starting tomorrow, I'll be starting my 12th year as pastor. So I want to bring this up. And so this was, it was a good baton switch between me and my father. We didn't have, we only had that one uh, disagreement. It wasn't an ugly disagreement. Number one, because I still have scared of my daddy. I loved him, but he was a little bit crazy to me. He still, he still was papa to me. So I was never going to really, uh, uh, disrespect him. I don't understand grown kids who think it's cool to disrespect mama and daddy. I, I didn't grow up like that. Last time I checked, she still carried you for nine months and he, he was still there if he was there. And so I had a great level of respect for him. And till this day, I honor him in everything that I try to do. So let, let me move to this. This is what I never wanted to happen. Put this up. Without me syndrome. So a lot of people, when they get a leadership title, they have a without me syndrome, which they start believing ain't nothing going to work without me. Nothing's going to prosper without me. There, there's some people in your life when you decided to break the relationship, they told you you ain't going to be no good without me. But you proved them wrong. Actually, you were the one pulling me down. And when I got away from you, I found out who I was. 
And so since my father was so humble, I didn't want to take the reins and start thinking that nothing is going to work without me. Now, let me say this. There are a lot of things that would not happen without me because I do a lot in this ministry. I do a whole lot. But my mindset is to always look for somebody else and train someone else because I don't ever want to have the without me syndrome because who do I think I am that stuff can't function without me? Listen, Deliverance Temple was not founded by me. I'm the third pastor in the generation. I'm carrying on the legacy. In other words, without them, there would be no me. So how could I think without me, things aren't going to work? So here's my approach to ministry. Let's put it up here and I'll, I'll explain even, even more. This ministry includes me, but never is supposed to be about me. At the end result, I am the pastor at this moment in time. So the ministry includes me, but it's never supposed to be about me. In other words, when people drive by this church, if they say, oh, that's Andre's church, I'm failing this church and I'm failing this community. They ought to say, like the song said, there's healing in that church. There's deliverance in that church. There's power in that church. There's anointing in that church. Them people will love you in that church. They'll cry with you in that church. They'll rejoice with you in that church. If the only thing they can think about deliver simple is, ooh, I like Andre's suits. I am messing up. I'll stop posting suit pics. I'll stop posting selfies. If you think it's just about my TikTok, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it includes me, but it ain't supposed to be about me. At the end of the day, it's not about me. So that means I can't just do what I want to do because it ain't about me. I remember, and I said it before, and I won't say the name because they're not here, but I remember there was a person when I first took over, and while my dad was the pastor, this particular person would kind of irritate me the way they praised. And I thought when I got the reins, that I would tell them it don't take all that. And so I thought it in my mind, and God told me, you leave her alone. And he said, if you knew what she went through, you would understand why she praises the way she praises. So shut your mouth and take a seat. And so honestly, I'm just the assistant pastor here. The Holy Spirit is the pastor. I got to fall in line like everybody else. This thing ain't about me. It's bigger than me. Now, if I'm the senior pastor and it's bigger than me, guess what? It's bigger than you too. Ooh, somebody sat in my seat. How much did you pay for that seat? It ain't got your name on it. And even if you put your name on it, we want deliverance to happen in the seat. So get up. It's not about you, it's about God. And, and, and let me let me throw this out there. This is just for for the internet's sake, not just the people who log in, but maybe for somebody who watch afterwards. God is not American. So that means some of the stuff y'all think it's about 
it's not about. People think that that God is American, and we always hear about this is a Christian nation, and we got to get back to being a Christian nation. I don't mind us getting back to being godly, but if you look at our track record, we ain't been all that Christian. We done done a lot of stuff that's not all that godly. So it's not about your political party, it's about your God. Now, guess what? Does it mean you can't have a political party? No. Represent whoever you represent, but don't put that above God. All right. That's just a little soapbox. Let me, let me uh, dial on back. So let me add a few things, and this will help just show you my heart. I can, uh, I can tell you my heart today. So what shapes pastoral ministry for me? Put that up there. What shapes pastoral ministry for me personally, so you know what kind of leader I am. You you get an idea by how I preach and how I act, but I just want to give you some scriptures in my head what pastoring looks like for me. I already told you I'm not the boss. God is the boss. Let, and let me let me pause and say this: I do not choose what I preach. Sometimes I say, God, you play too much. Because it used to, in my mind, when I was preparing to be a pastor, I wanted to have my sermon buttoned up by Thursday afternoon at the latest. You preached on Sunday. Monday was my day off. Tuesday, I started working on the next one. Wednesday, I got Bible study. By Thursday, I got Sunday service already ready. That worked for a couple weeks. And then one week, God didn't give me nothing until Friday. And one week, he didn't give me nothing until Saturday. And then one day it didn't happen till Sunday morning. And I'm like, Jesus, when you going to speak, when you going to say something? Because I can't talk. Because if I talk my, the thing, now I, I know a whole lot of stuff. And I can talk, but I'm afraid that you would leave getting Andre and not getting God. So I wait for God to speak. So this is how I prepare a sermon. I ask one major question. God, what are you saying to your people? So that leaves me out of the equation. It's not about what I want to say. So let, let, let's, let's give an example. Keisha Davis steps on my new shoes last week. So this week, I want to preach a sermon about why don't y'all watch where y'all walking. But that would be my flesh, and it would not be a message from God. And I hate to say it, there's a lot of people going to church, and they're hearing the pastor, but they're not hearing God. There, there's some churches that if Jesus came back in human form, he wouldn't be invited in the church. Because nothing they do involves him at all. And I didn't want to be that way, so guess what? I have to wait till God speaks. And sometimes he speaks late. And lately, he has spoke later and later. Now that I got to the place where I don't even worry about it. I don't even fret. I'm like, okay, I'm going to sleep. You're going to do whatever you got to do. So every Sunday morning, I'm up by at least 7.30 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. Depends on what's going on. And I'm like, God, if you ain't said nothing, I need you to say something. So I have to add this. If I say something that gets on your nerves, didn't nobody tell me but God. So don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. 
get mad at God because I put it too late together for me to figure out what you did. I know you saw what I posted on Facebook, and that's why you preach what you preach. Baby, I didn't see nothing. I was in the word of God saying, God, when you going to say something to me? So if he gets on you, it ain't my fault. He's the one who told me. All right, let's 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 move on. So let, let me give you 12 verses. Now, it's interesting. I'm bringing this up, and right now it happens to be 12-12. It's 12-12, 12 noon, 12 minutes after 12 noon, and I'm going to give you 12 verses for 12 years of pastoral ministry. I can't, see, I couldn't make that up. God just did that. So let, let's start off with this. Second Chronicles 1, 8 through 10 in the New King James Version. I'm going to use a lot of verses because I like to use a lot of verses. So let's, let's start with verse 8. Read that. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David my father and have made me king in his place. I think about this. When I think about Bishop Clark and then my father and now me, I think about the legacy that I carry. If you know the story, and I don't have time to get into it, but my father did not really want to be the pastor. He just wanted to help Bishop Clark. But Bishop Clark felt like he was supposed to start a church in Fort Wayne, and he was pastoring both churches. And my brother Jonathan was just not born that long. He was just maybe in walking age, so he was a toddler. And so he gets out of my mother's lap, and he walks up, and he sits on Bishop Clark's lap. Sits there for just a minute or two, and then he gets up and goes to my dad, and my dad held him for the rest of the service. My dad said that God spoke to him right then and said, what does your son's name mean? And his name means the Lord gave. And God, my dad said, God spoke to me. He said, I gave the church to Bishop Clark, who at the time was Elder Clark, but now I'm giving it to you. And so as he was holding his son, he realized that he was supposed to accept the ministry. And so he accepted the ministry, and then it was passed to me. 26 years later, it was passed to me. And so like David said, like Solomon said of David, you were good to my father. God, I, I need you to be good to me because this really ain't about me. I don't even know how I ended up in this place. But for whatever reason, you put this responsibility in my lap. And here I am trying to protect it. Yeah. Now, 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 if, if I give you a plastic cup, a styrofoam cup, and it's empty, if you drop it, you don't think nothing about it. Because it's just a styrofoam cup. But if I give you crystal glass out of the china and if you drop it, you immediately get nervous because it's so much, so much more precious. And if it falls, it'll break, it'll shatter. I think about this. I don't want to mess this church up. I got something precious in my hands. I'm holding it preciously. And God, I know sometimes I act like Dre. And God, don't let Dre get in the way. I don't want to drop this and mess it up. Because Bishop Clark handled it well. Bishop Mitchell handled it well. Now they're gone on the glory. And all y'all got is me. And I want to handle it well. So it weighs heavily on me. So let's look at verse 9 and Let's look at what Solomon said. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established. Let me stop right there. When Bishop Clark had the vision of starting this church, he was at another church, had a vision of starting this church. He's seen an open vision on his, I believe he was at home, on the wall. And it was men and women with their hands lifted up. 
And God told him to start a church. So every time I come in here and I see y'all with y'all hands lifted up, it reminds me of the vision God gave him years ago. We're fulfilling the vision, women and men with their hands raised up to God saying, God, I thank you for delivering me. Read some more of that verse. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established. For you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Verse 10. Now give me wisdom and knowledge. Now give me titles. I want to have some titles. Wisdom. No, no. I, and I, got, I got my dad's Bishop Cross. Oh, I want a Bishop Cross. Wisdom. No, I want a clergy collar. I want everybody to kiss my ring. Wisdom. That's not what he said. God, I need wisdom and I need knowledge. No, I want a Cadillac because preachers need a Cadillac. I do have a Cadillac, but it's not about the Cadillac. God, I need your wisdom, wisdom. and I need your knowledge. And knowledge. Yeah. Explain why Solomon asked for this. Still in verse 10, she didn't finish the whole verse. That I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? Now, he was talking numerically when he said great. But for me, I don't have multitudes. I don't pastor thousands. I pastor what we call a local church. But you'll often hear me say this when I pray that Solomon said the people are a great people. And what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the greatness that's on the inside of each and every one of you. And the reason why I want wisdom and knowledge is because I want to unlock the greatness that rests inside of you. I don't want you to be a part of my ministry for any length of time and leave the same way you came. Not only that, I don't want you to leave worse than how you came. I want to tap into the greatness inside of you, and I want you to feel like if don't nobody love me, them folk in there love me, and I can be great in there. And I want to do that. And so I need wisdom and knowledge to unlock the greatness. And so that's why we played the song that God is doing a great work in me. Now, yes, you have some issues. And yes, you have some hangups. You wouldn't be at Deliverance Temple if you didn't. But even though you have issues and hangups, I see greatness on the inside of each and every one of you. There's potential greatness, and I want to see it blossom. And I'm the happiest when you begin to walk in the purpose of your greatness. Amen. Let's, so let's move further. Let's look at James 1 and 5. Just painting the picture of the Lord. This is an English standard version. I'll read this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So often what I tell God is, God, I don't know what I'm doing. And since I don't know what I'm doing, God, I need your help, and I need your wisdom. If You say my pastor made a wise choice. I need you to know it wasn't me. It was the fact that God came through for me and spoke through me for you because I asked him like Solomon asked and like James is right about, God, I need your wisdom. Now, we live in the age of information, but even though we have a lot of information, there's a low level of common sense in this day and age. 
There's a high level of craziness, a low level of common sense, and a whole bunch of information. And you know what that leaves? A bunch of confusion. So in this age of confusion, God give me wisdom. God, and, and I used to pray and often, I don't pray it as much, but I would say, God, speak through my mouth and think through my mind. God, let it be all of you and less of me. I know it's going to be some of me because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of silly and funny, so some of that's going to come through. But, God, I need it to be all of you and just a little bit of me. I need you to speak to my mouth. I need you to think to my mind. The people can leave here getting Andre. They have to have you. And just last year, I told you that we were going to change our confession. We used to always say, Pastor Andre, preach me this word. Or teach me this word. I told you that the Lord told me that we're not going to say that anymore. That now we're going to say, God, feed me your word. Because at the end of the day, we need God feeding you. Yes, I am the server right now, but we need God feeding you. And this what this also means is that when you leave here, it means you sometimes still need to be fed. Well, well, I'm not going to listen to a Bishop Jake sermon because I heard Pastor Andre's sermon. You might need Pastor Andre. And Bishop Jakes. You might need Bishop Jakes and Oprah. Well, what Oprah ain't a preacher, but sometimes you can learn from her. You might need to learn from the breakfast cup. Sometimes you need to learn from a lot of places and just sitting around thinking that everything's just going to magically appear out the sky because you go to church. It don't work like that. You need to put in the work to be fed. We, we, we grew up in the age of buffet lines, but the buffet line, even though it has a whole bunch of food, it don't do you no good if you don't take your plate up there and dip out. And I need to let you know I'm just one section on the buffet. There's more to eat, and you need to make sure you are getting fed. And that makes it more than just about me. And listen, with the hell we're going through, you need everything you can get. You need to listen to everything you get, all the type of information that feeds your soul, not just random information. And I'm not mad at y'all having stuff that y'all like, like real housewives. But let me tell you something. If you single and you ain't got no man, you don't need to see a whole bunch of one fighting and fussing and cussing each other out. You need to put something together. You need to put a business plan together to get your mind and get your, your life out the ghetto. You can't do what everybody else do. does. I need to be fed. Guess what? If I am 250 pounds, I can eat like I want to. But if I'm 25 pounds, I need to eat every chance I get because I'm getting ready to starve myself. So some of y'all spiritually, you 25 pounds. And you told my well, I go to church. Well, you know, about about you know, once every two months. And listen, it's not about your church coming. It's about the fact that you're starving, and you need to be fed. You need to get somewhere where you can get fed, because the devil's trying to take you out, and you can't play with this thing. This thing is too important. So on my end, as the cook, I can't just throw anything together. Oh, come on in here. Get these hot pockets and to fill your belly. No, they don't work like that. I, I, I got to go in the kitchen and do some cooking. All right, so let's, let's move on from there. But let, let, before we move on, let me, let me add this. I read somewhere to about, I'm, I'm trying to get it to 100 in the last couple uh, years. I haven't got to 100, but I read somewhere from 90 plus books a year. 
I read 66 books every year, which is the Bible, and I read another 30 books after that. Well, when do you have time for that? I don't have time, but I make time for it because I heard that if in order to be a good leader, you got to be a good reader. So I devour knowledge. I tried to learn, and I'm doing it for you. So I don't get up here and just preach some raggedy message. And if you don't know anything about it, it's something called chat GPT, which is AI information. I can ask it to tell me what to preach and it'll give me a sermon. Now, and I'm not playing. I did it just to see because I have it on my computer. I asked it to preach me an Easter sermon and it laid out an Easter sermon. And I can just bring that here and preach to y'all. But I want to feed you. I... I'm not trying to puff myself up, but baby, this ain't the dollar menu. This ain't McDonald's dollar menu. I'm feeding you Ruth Chris. I'm feeding you the best I can because I want you to grow. Now, I I don't want to say this too much because I'm not in fuss mode, but even though I'm feeding you Ruth Chris, some of y'all still pay like it's the dollar menu. Damn, we we, we ain't fussing. We ain't fussing today, so we're going to get off of that. But some of y'all, y'all do, y'all do well. So I'm not, I'm not here to stay on that. So Proverbs 3, 5, 6, this became my life verse. I have a lot of favorite verses, but this became my life verse as soon as I became a pastor. And what does it say? Verse 5 says this. In all thy ways. Verse 5. Let's go back to verse Trust five. in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. So I, since I read a lot, and, and let me, let me add this. I don't just read Christian books. Sometimes I get tired of just a bunch of Christian books because sometimes everybody's saying the same thing. Sometimes I read other stuff. But since I'm reading other stuff and learning other things, I'm careful not to give you my own understanding. And so I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm not leaning on my understanding. Let me tell you this. If I leaned on my understanding, there's some stuff that I wouldn't have done the way God wanted me to do it. Because I'm not patient by nature. I want to do stuff yesterday. And God makes me wait. Right now, for the almost the last two years, we've been without a musician. I can just I can find a way to get a musician, but God wants me to get the right one, and so He's making me wait. I've been asking around, and so since God hasn't showed and the door hasn't opened, we all wait. It don't make sense to wait, but that's what God is making us doing. So we waiting together. We video praising until God opens a door and does it the way he wants to do it. And so if it was left up to me, I'd done it a different way. But guess what? Like I told you, I'm not the boss. I can't lean to my own understanding. Because not everybody that plays got the anointing. A lot of people are talented but don't have the real anointing. And so they're playing chords that are coming in the atmosphere but they're producing spirits and not real praise. So guess what? We just got to wait until God opens the door. Let's look at verse 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Before you ever got GPS in your car and on your phone, Proverbs told us that God was the GPS. It is God's positioning system. And all you got to do is acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. So how have I made it 12 years if I don't know what I'm doing? It's because I acknowledge him. God, what you want me to do? 
Now, now let, me, let me be honest. God has been, and I, I'm saying this facetiously, but God's been getting on my nerves the last few years. Because I've been asking him what to do, and he keeps telling me, keep doing what you've been doing. And what I say back to him, it don't look like it's working. I don't have no music. Sometimes I don't know who's going to show up. I don't know if I'm preaching to 50 or 15. God, it don't look like it's working. What do you want me to do? Shut up, Andre, and keep doing what you've been doing. Well, I, that's not what I want to hear. But since I'm not the boss, I just got to acknowledge him. And he will direct my path. And how I've ended up in some of the places I've ended up, I don't know how it happened. But God said, if you would just acknowledge me. Let me go all the way back to 2009 when I was in the frustrated season. And that's when I really started picking up my, my, my level of reading. I, not knowing I was going to be a pastor. I was in, I've told a story before, but I'll say it again. I was at Union Baptist at a young person's uh uh, home going and uh, Pastor W.J. Jackson he began to preach and as he closed he talked about the three M's and he closed he started talking about Martin, uh, Malcolm and Mandela and he preached good and I walked out of there thinking man he preached good I know that really helped the family and the young people and God just spoke to me said you don't know enough about them three men and so I was like yeah I guess I don't I know what people told me so I started reading so I read Martin first I read Malcolm next and talking about their, their autobiography, their biographies and autobiographies. And then I read Malcolm last. And all three of them talked about Mahatma Gandhi. So I read his next. I got all them M's. And Mahatma's not known as a Christian, but all that information helped me. But when I got to Mandela's, something in that book just struck me. It's called A Long Walk to Freedom. It tells his whole story. And something in that book, and I stopped reading. I was on my job reading, and I was on my break time. So I took my break time to actually read. Sometimes when you are desperate, you squeeze it in whenever you can. So on my break time in 2009, I stopped where I was reading, and I just stood back, and I said, one day I'm going to preach in South Africa. No, no, I didn't say that. I said, one day I'm going to visit South Africa where he was. It just I just felt by faith I was going to do that. Guess what? I forgot all about it. But in 2017, I had a microphone in my hand and I was preaching in South Africa because as long as you acknowledge him, he will direct your path. I don't know how I've been here. I preached in Haiti. I preached in South Africa. I preached in several states. Now, I've never asked one person to let me preach. I've authored books and I flunked typing. I don't know how that works out, but God knows how to make a something out of a nothing. He knows how to turn a situation around if you just acknowledge him. And let me tell you something, Deliverance Temple, and let me announce it to the whole world that's watching. You ain't seen nothing yet. Let's continue to read. Let's go to Jeremiah 3. It says 14 and 15, but I took 14 out. We're just going to go to 15. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. So here's a promise that God has to the people. See, the problem with church is so, it's so pulpit focused. Yes. It's so focused up on what we call the, the clergy. And my father was big on not separating the clergy and the laity and saying that we are together. But it, from God's perspective, he said, I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart. In other words, 
God does stuff to me, not for me, but for you. Up until I became a pastor, it didn't bother me to look at shoot 'em up movies and see people blood, blood. That didn't bother me at all. I, I want more of it. Look, give me some more. Give me some Rambo. Give me, give me all of that. And Devin want me to watch some old chick flick, but I want to see some action. But as I became a pastor, my heart shifted. And I can't watch what I used to watch. I still enjoy them, but I have to look away because I feel different. My heart is different. And the Bible says, I'll give you shepherds after my own heart. God breaks me down so I'm who I need to be for you. Guess what? Y'all say, oh, he's so sweet. I got a slick mouth. But if you've never met my slick mouth, it's not because of me. It's because of God. Because he's molding me so that I can be the person you need me to be. Guess what? Guess what? When life beats you up all week long, you don't need to come in here and hear some bald-headed preacher beating you up too. Unless God tells me to, I need to be kind. I need to be loving. I need to be concerned about what you're concerned about. Now, let me tell you what happened to me. Last week, we were on sabbatical, and I had planned to be with vacation with my my family, my extended family, my siblings, we did it last year. And since my father's passing, we found some comfort in gathering together. So several months ahead, we had planned this, and it was time to go. But just so happened, Sister Carnita's mother passes away, and the funeral was on Monday, and I've already got flights scheduled. I'm already supposed to be gone. I'm on sabbatical, but in my heart, I wanted to be here. I didn't want to be here because I know I needed rest, but it's hard for me to see my people go through and me not be there. I was there by offering the church, but in my heart, something said, man, I wish I could be in two places at one time. And you know, I don't really want to be at funerals, but I want to be there for the people because God is doing something to my heart. And the older I get, the softer I get. I'm just as soft as I can be. I, 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 I like to debate. I like to argue, but not so much anymore. I just want to love people. I just want to make a difference. I just, sometimes when I hug you, I'll hug you just because I want to touch you and show you that somebody cares for you. And it's not me, it's God in me. And if I could, I'd just call all your names out. When I say I love you, I mean it because God has put the love in me for you. I care for you. And I've had people that, and I, I was told by many other pastors, like, it, it, it's tough to get so close to the people because people will stab you in the back. They'll walk out on you. They'll betray you. They'll lie on you. And I've had all that stuff to happen to me. But what they don't tell you is more stick with you than walk away from you. Yeah. So I've learned to focus on the one that stick with you and not worry about the ones that walk away. So guess what? If you love me, I love you. If you want to hear me preach, I want to preach to you. If you want to log in, I want you to log in. If you want to come through those doors, I'm happy to have you. Maybe we may disagree sometime throughout the process, but we're in this thing together. I want it to be that way. And sometimes I do do too much because it's not just y'all. I'm a pastor to the community. Amen. I, I'm a pastor to the Muncie community. Now, now, Facebook won't say that. 
They'll tell you that all pastors care about tithes and care about money and all pastors ain't no good. But, but what they should say is some. Because I don't fit in the all. Because I can make more money than what I make doing this. But I do it because I love the people. You, you know, when I preach other places, you know what they tell me? You're too big for Muncie. Why are you in Muncie? Sometimes I wonder, yeah, why am I in Muncie? I'm in Muncie because I'm called here. I would rather be here than be somewhere else because I want to do the will of the Father. And guess what? I got that from my daddy. My daddy would go down to what they called the low end and preach to the crackheads. Not because he didn't have no other place to preach. He'd go to the prisons and preach in the prisons. He'd go to the jails and preach in the jails. He opened up this building for everybody's funeral who wanted to have a funeral, both this building and that building. He fed the hungry. And how dare I come up and get all sedity? No, I want to love like he loved because that's all I know. One other thing is if I did it like a bunch of other people do it, guess what? I'd be miserable. I, I, I may have a bigger house. I may have a bigger congregation. But at the end of the day, I know I'd be phony. And I don't like being phony. Here's, here's what I know. At the end of the day, when I look myself in the mirror, I can at least say I gave it all I got. I wasn't fake. I wasn't phony about it. I gave it all I got. I didn't come in here lying to y'all. If I'm broken inside, I ain't going to try to tell y'all I'm blessed and highly favored. I will preach the truth. I'm going to tell you the best I can because this is all I know. And guess what? Somehow, some of y'all like it because y'all keep coming back. All right, let's, let's go deeper. Let, 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 let's, this is what some... People won't tell you, but let, let, let's get a little deeper with this. First Timothy 3.1. Read that. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. King James says bishop. Uh, I believe the New Living Translation says leader. So it covers pastor. It covers anybody in a leadership role, especially a senior leadership role in uh, a church setting. So it's, it's, it's a noble thing to step up into that. So even though my father offered it to me, I could have been like, no, I'm going to do that. But yeah, I accepted it. So it's noble. But let's read some more. Verse 2. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, Uh-oh. temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Let me tell you something. I can't worry about what some other preacher does what some other pastor does, all I know is my marching orders is I'm supposed to be faithful to my wife. I'm supposed to be temperate. Devin liked that part. She really liked that. But guess what? She a co-pastor. She's supposed to be faithful to her husband too. Amen. It go both ways. And, and, and it is true that some people have not been faithful and God has still blessed the ministry and still helped them. And to be honest, sometimes I look and be like, this don't seem fair. That church is bigger than mine, and they done done way more dirt than me. But guess what God said? ain't none of your business. You do what you see in the scripture. And what I see in the scripture is I'm supposed to be faithful to my wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Now, I, I love the church we grew up in. 
But guess what? Let's be honest. There was some mean folk in that old church. Yeah. They was anointed, but mean. Some of them bishops was mean and sour. This, that's not what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be loving, supposed to be kind. If you see me outside and I'm not in the mood to talk, I'm still supposed to put a smile on my face because you deserve it because you are part of the ministry. I cannot take and forget who I am. That's a part of the calling. And does it suck sometimes? Excuse me for my friends. Yes, it does. But you deserve the best. So I try to give you my best. I know I don't have to wear a suit when I preach, but I do it because I'm trying to build a certain level of excellence. I do it because I want to. I do it because it looks a certain way even online. And sometimes you may not even notice it, but the the slides and the lights, they usually match because it looks good when you project it. That takes time to figure all that stuff out. But I do it because you deserve it. If it was just one soul, one soul deserves it. And it's time out for people coming to churches and people treat them like numbers. You're not a number. You're a soul. You're a person. And you matter. You matter. Trish, I'm just tired of you. You need to get your act together. You can't talk to people like that all the time. Maybe every now and then it's needed, but people who beat you up all the time, I'm, let me tell you something, they don't love you. And let me add this in. People who are always soft on you all the time, they don't love you either. There's a balance in there. And I'm trying to have that balance. Verse 3. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now, I have not been drunk since 1995. That's a long time. I can even, I remember what I got drunk on. We used to call it Goldschlager. It's fireball now. That's the last thing I got drunk on. That cinnamon, fiery, sweet stuff, that's the last thing I got drunk on. And I remember puking my guts out. Now, have I had a drink since then? I sure have. And I started telling y'all, because I didn't want y'all to be alarmed if y'all seen that. I started telling you, but I don't get drunk. Now, maybe y'all do. Man, I'm, I'm not here to judge you. But for me, as your leader, I need to operate in sobriety. If they legalize cannabis, I'm not getting any of it because I want to operate in sobriety. I want to teach the world that I'm high already. I got something in me. Somebody said, if I should tell you my life story, I would say Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. So I want to prove it to you. I'm going to live a certain life. And you may say, well, I'm not. Well, you're not the leader. I'm not bothering you. But this is what I'm going to do. I should not be in the paper for domestic abuse. I should not be in the paper for child abuse. If I'm preaching to you, there's a certain level that I should have. And by God's grace, I have a good reputation, but it takes work. But I'm diligent to do so because that's all I know. That's what my daddy did. That's what Bishop Clark did. I'm not going to get the ball now and drop the ball now. I'm going to be the same type of leader they were. I'm going to do the best I can. But in these last few years, have I felt like getting tore up drunk? I sure have. I pass by a liquor store on, uh, going home almost all the time. 
And I've had to point at it and tell it, I'm, you're not going to get me. I'm going to, I'm going to read the word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to turn on worship music. I'm going to do whatever I can to hold myself together. Why? Because the people, you deserve somebody who's pushing the best they know how. And I'm doing it the best I know how. Let's move on to verse 4. This is important. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Come on, let's be honest. Sometimes the pastor kids are the worst kids in the building. And sometimes the reason why they're the worst kids is because they don't get none of his attention. And so they act out in church. So even though I love you, my family comes first. And I try my best to put my family first. But by the same token, my family shouldn't be, my, my kids shouldn't be getting smart with y'all. Because I'm the pastor's daughter. I'm the pastor's son. It shouldn't work like that. I should be in control of my house. Because how can I tell you to lead your house and my house is a mess? So I'm doing the best I can. Have we made mistakes along the way? Yes. Are my kids perfect? No, they're not. We're fighting the same demons y'all fighting, but we're in this together, and I'm doing the best I know how. And I'm going to keep doing it. Verse 5. This says it basically the same thing I just told you. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? If Devin don't love me, what are, makes sense if I'm running around talking about, I love you, Deliverance Temple. If my kids don't love me, if I'm me, if the dog can't stand me, how can I come in here and preach to you? And some people are doing that, but let me tell you something, I can't do that. I have to be authentic. And so if I'm going to say I love you, I've got to love my family. I've got another week off. I'm going to stay, and, and, and after Sunday, I'm going to do, uh, preach Bible study. But Thursday through Saturday, I'm taking my son, Draylon, I'm taking him to New York City because he really is into plays. He's really wanted to, to go to a Broadway play, and I'm taking the, the money, and I'm going, I'm taking him to New York to Broadway play. I can't afford to take all the kids, so I'm just taking one at a time, but I'm trying to spend time with them. I don't want my kids to think the ministry comes above them. So pray for us. We're getting back on a plane. And we're going to go and we're going to do it and we're going to try to have some fun. And we're not watching no Christian plays. We're watching Broadway plays. We're going to be in Manhattan. We're going to live it up to do the best we can because my kids are going to know I love you. But there's a bigger goal. Hopefully, he does get a breakthrough and we'll be able to take all the kids to New York. We'll be able to take all the kids to a vacation somewhere. I'm not just thinking about us. I'm thinking about the future. Hopefully, we can do it because everybody doesn't have a daddy at home. Everybody doesn't have. So I want to do what I can. And right now, I'm working and I'm tied up. But when I get free, I'm going to do more because that's what my dad taught me. Try to be there for the whole community. So I may not have been for your child yet, but I'll try to do what I can. All right. We're... We have gone through the 12 things, but put this up here. This is only if you want it. Just tell me if you want it. Do you want the bonus section? All right. Enough of y'all said y'all wanted it. I was probably going to do it anyway. But here's the bonus section. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time explaining that. But I will say this. There are some people who may assume that I'm a pastor who's let the standard down. Because I don't talk about sin a whole lot. 
I talk about what the scripture talks about. If it's in the scripture, I talk about But I don't talk about sin a whole lot. I don't talk about all the people fornicating, everybody going to hell. I'm talking about how gays are going to hell and all abortion people are going to hell. I, whether I believe it or not, I don't do a whole lot of preaching it from the pulpit. Why? Here, here's a simple answer, but I'll explain it to you. But here's a simple answer. I like to preach the solution instead of the problem. So if you keep coming in and all you keep hearing is the problem, what's going to happen is you're going to start thinking you're the problem. And there's one of two things that people do. Either they fake it in here or they just go ahead and leave. And that's why people are leaving the church in droves because they can't fake it no more. There's a lot of these holiness folks that have been talking a bunch of a good junk. They've been doing everything under the sun. And they just come in church and act like it's not true. But some of them are tired of faking so I, I, I preach what God gives me, but I'm not really a hellfire and brimstone preacher. But here's the reason why, and, and, and here's my heart. So I'll say it pretty quickly, but the Bible is made up, the Old Testament and the New Testament is really the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the Bible says you have to rightly divide the word of truth. So you can't preach Old Covenant to New Covenant believers. You have to give people the New Covenant. So I'm just going to read what the difference is. So let's look at Jeremiah 31, 31. It's interesting that it's, it's laid out as 31, 31. It says this. This is way a long time ago before Jesus ever went to the cross. It says, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. In Hebrews, it says the old covenant was obsolete. Let, 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 let me say it this way. How many of y'all are still walking around with a dismay? Some people don't even know what a disc man was. That's when you put the CD in the disc and put the things on your ears. You got an iPod now. You got it on your phone. You don't do that because that's obsolete. What, when's the last time you rented a movie from Blockbuster? Most of you just turn on your Netflix because that's old. So when churches try to preach old stuff, they look out of date. That's why you can go in some churches and it seems like you're back in the 60s because they don't understand we're under something new. Let's look at verse 32. It says this. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loved his wife, says the Lord. They couldn't even fulfill that. Look at verse 33. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So I don't do a whole lot of, you should go here, you shouldn't go there, you shouldn't do this, stay away from here, don't do that, because I'm trusting God to put his laws in your heart. If I got to give you a rule book, I'm failing you. I, the reason why I tell you to connect with your creator continually is so you know. Don't call me and ask me, is it sin? Because it might be sin for you. If you don't feel right doing it, stop doing it. If you don't feel good doing it, stop doing it. Don't look to me to tell you what to do. I'm not your God. I'm your pastor. But if you spend time with God... He'll write laws on your heart. And here's something we need to understand, church. If God hasn't written it on their heart yet, maybe you should leave them alone. Uh, Honey, you're dressed too tight. But they're not in church right now. They at Heacon Park. Everybody's dress is tight there. Yeah. Maybe you should just give them a break. 
The back to months is coming up. You might see somebody who say they saved. They may have a cocktail in their hand. And maybe you should walk on and mind your business. Because God deals with people different ways at different times. Let God be God and you mind your business. It takes me six months to mind my business. It takes me another six months to stay out of yours. So that covers my whole year. Now, if you're in a relationship with people and you're close to people and they ask you for advice all the time, that's a different story. But we, we're too judgy because we're thinking of the old covenant. But, but we don't understand the old covenant. They had a right to stone you if you did something wrong. They just picked up stones and stoned you to death. Thank God we don't live under that. So let's, let, let's, let's have a little more wisdom. So here's verse 34. This is how I close. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. Summertime's here. Stop going to the family reunions and fussing at everybody how they need to be in church and you need to do it. Just shut up and just enjoy. Just be there. Folks folk get so tired of just Christians that are just so uptight. Chill out. Leave folk alone. Do you understand the stress we are all under? If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, you'd be crazy. Some of them need the weed. Let them smoke as much as they can handle because they'll go crazy without it. They don't have what you have. So you don't have to run around telling everybody they're going to hell and you need to know the Lord. All you got to do is live it. It's it's interesting. I put some new lights at my house, some new motion sensor lights. And they come on whenever someone is around them. And I've never heard the light say, hey, I'm a light. You need to come to me because I'm a light. They don't say nothing. They just function in their job. And when they show the light, guess what happens when the light comes on? Bugs are drawn to the light. You ain't got to fuss at everybody. Just be the light and watch the people come. They will not need to teach their neighbors. No, they need to teach their relatives saying you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least, put the verse back up, please. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. Now, here's here's the big one. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. In other words, if I teach y'all how to be the light, You'll go out there and you'll draw people in. And they'll be afraid to come in because they're sinners. But when they step in, they'll find that God done already washed away their sin. Done already forgot about their sin. It's not about what you did wrong. It's not about who you slept with. I'm not saying you need to continue to do with it. But we got the cart in front of the horse. We got to draw them in first. And when they come in, they'll find something that they just can't let go. And they'll have to make a choice. Sometime. And yes, sometimes you offer people to make a choice. Yes, you try to lead them to the Lord. But let's just get back to the simple new covenant is just let them know God. 
when they know God, God will do the work. So guess what? I don't mind gays in my church. I'm going to let God do the work. Maybe there's some people in your church that have had abortions. I don't mind that. Let them come. Maybe after they come, maybe they won't have any more abortions. Maybe after they come, they'll stop uh, robbing and stealing. Maybe after they come. But if all we do is beat them up, why would they ever come? So I'm not going to turn into a hellfire and brimstone preacher because it's no longer scriptural. The Bible says this. He says that I got to close. The Bible says this. He says hell was created for the devil and his angels. Wasn't even created for humans. So why are you trying to send all the humans there? We're supposed to be saving as many as we can. And guess what? All the ones we save are not going to be perfect Christians. Some of them are going to be saved and still addicted. But because we introduce them to God, when they take their last breath, instead of going down, they're going to go up because they stopped in a place called Deliverance Temple and God gave them their deliverance, whether on this earth or the other side. And that's all I want to do is welcome as many people into the kingdom of God. And if that ain't the church for you, I'm not bothered. You're okay to go somewhere else. But I'm going to keep doing it this way. I done done it this way for 12 years. It's working. I'm going to keep doing it until God says do. All right. That's good. Thank you for the bonus section. Let's stand to our feet. And let's bow our heads. God, we thank you and appreciate you for this new covenant. It's a covenant of grace. It doesn't mean that we don't do right. It means you give us space and grace to operate the way you want us to operate. You take your time and you work on us like the master artist, like the potter and the clay. You'll keep working and reworking. And God, let the people out there that are filled with church hurt, that are so confused and don't know what to do, let them know that this is a place where they can come, be loved, and grow into a new person. And just like we shared in the video, they can have name changes and character changes. But right now, let us be the hospital where they can get their start. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week.